With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. And today, you know, happy Wednesday feels listening to it. We got a great day ahead of us. Great day to be great as always. And we got some NFL goodness to break down. As always, focusing on fantasy football, we got some value, some people against current ADP that we like. And by we, I mean myself and, of course, our usual Wednesday guest, PFF's own Andrew Erickson. You can find on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore Andrew. Happy uh, June, man. Hope you had a good Memorial Day. And here we are, just three more months, three more short months, Andrew, till we get live football. I got shorter than that preseason. Shorter than three months, Andrew, till we get football on our TVs again. I cannot wait. We've already got some of these re- beat reports trickling in. Joe Burrow's arm basically looks like a cannon is one of the latest things that I've seen. And as someone that has a ton of Joe Burrow in underdog, I'm really happy to hear that. So... His arm looks, like a, arm looks like a cannon, but he's worried about his leg explosiveness. So people are just, you know, moving him up and down the ranks back and forth <laughs> as, as soon as they get into a press conference going. But we are going to be paying attention to both what we personally think with the ranks, but more importantly, the public. You know, I hope you all have been liking the fantasy files, the single solo episodes. But, you know, as much as I do want to zoom in on certain players and go through the offseason, I also realize, hey, if you're doing best ball drafts right now, you know, you don't really have time to study all 90 guys. You just want to hear who Andrew and I are really liking at value at the moment. So we're going to go over 10 guys that we believe are just mispriced because they should be ranked far higher than they are over at Underdog Fantasy right now. So, Andrew, why don't you start things off with a certain troubled wide receiver from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Antonio Brown currently going as the wide receiver 47. And I think it's because, do people know that he's actually back on the team? I know there was like... There was like a gap in in time where he was the only player that hadn't got re-signed yet. And I think even PFF or one of our fantasy accounts had tweeted out that he was back. And it was like a little bit before he, he actually signed with the team. But they were right. He did end up signing with the team. So our social team knows what's up. But the thing with him is when he was on the team last year with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, they were all basically producing the same type of fantasy numbers. Like There wasn't really a discrepancy. You look at the target share, it was pretty flat across the board. And Mike Evans had more fantasy points per game, followed by Godwin and then Brown, but it was marginal at best. And really it was because Mike Evans was catching, you know, touchdowns seemingly every single week. But when you look at the efficiency, efficiency standpoint, the efficiency stance, it's Antonio Brown kind of like leads the pack. You look at fantasy points per snap. You know, last year it was Devontae Adams, number one, Terry Kill, number two, Antonio Brown, number three. Like, that's, you don't, you think that I was reading that stat from like two or three years ago, but that was last year. He was in the discussion with Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill. And look, you can cherry pick stats all you want, but to be associated with those guys after last year is a really good thing. And at wide receiver 47, it's like, look, the risk is that he doesn't play next year because he gets in trouble. Like, okay. That's definitely factored into his his price, though, where he's basically free. You know, 25% target rate per route run, which is number one in the Buccaneers. And, you know, he led the Buccaneers in PFF receiving grade, too. So 
everything points to him, you know, not being washed. I know this is an ageist podcast and we don't like the older receivers, but you know, he's going to be 33 this year. I don't really think I saw much of him last year. That was, yeah, I mean, he's not the same elite player that we once knew as a top five fantasy wide receiver, but you're not expecting that out of a guy who can get outside the top 45 guys. So for me, I think Antonio Brown, especially in a best ball format, he offers the same type of upside as a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin and doesn't cost any of the same price. You're correct, Andrew. It's an ageist podcast, but only if you look old in football years. That's why Tom Brady is still not on the list and doesn't exactly seem poised to be on there anytime soon. But great points all around. Currently sitting there with the wide receiver 47 ADP. I, you know, I did not list him because you did, but I would have if you didn't, Andrew, because he is my wide receiver 33. I understand you're taking Goblin and Evans way ahead of him and you should. But yeah, just compared to where he's currently going, man, makes absolutely no sense. In 2020, Goblin was the wide receiver 15 in PPR points per game. Evans was the wide receiver 16. AB was the wide receiver 23. There's only an 11 target disparity between the three in the 12 games with Brown and the offense. And for the ADP to be literally a 30 spot difference, this doesn't make any sense. I don't even know if it's people are down on Antonio Brown, the player. I think it has to do with him as a person. And you know what? If you want to go through your whole draft, not picking players that you don't think are good human beings, more power to you, but that is not what we're doing here. And because of that, Antonio Brown is a screaming value. So he is, he's got the contract he needed to pass the physical with his knee thing that is done and he looks good he had a 16 game pace last year man 90 catches 966 yards eight touchdowns from the regular season might have even been hiked up if we include the playoffs so antonio brown still very much a very good football player currently being priced as much more of a meh option andrew i got a wide receiver that is from ab's old team next that is deontay johnson i do not again this was I like this exercise because when I went through and compiled my ranks, like I came up with some guys that I didn't even think I was like overly high on. I love Deontay Johnson. You love Deontay Johnson. For some reason, Deontay Johnson has an ADP as the wide receiver at 25 right now. Like we can go through his games and you pick out, you know, the spots. Like if you had him last year, you know what I'm talking about. Like you got burned from Deontay having not just games he missed, but like two or three games where he only played a couple snaps and it just didn't work out. With all that said, not even excluding those games, not even just accounting for only Ben being on the field, he was a PPR wide receiver 22, even before removing all that stuff. So for me, we're seeing Deontay priced at the bottom when, if you just look, again, and now if we put those qualifiers in, we look at the games where he wasn't injured and we had Ben under center. I mean, the target totals in these 12 games, people, 10, 13, 15, 10, 11, 16, 13, 12, 7, 13, 14, 16. And the seven in the seven target game, God forbid you only get seven targets. That was the one game against the Bills where they finally had enough with the drops and they pulled him for like the second quarter only to put him back in there. So Deontay, man, again, we already saw what his floor is with this sort of role. That was last season. That was with the drops. So no, it's not ideal. But we also, like we've been pretty selective with who we're penalizing for drops. It's kind of like the injury thing. Like how come D? DK Metcalf and him, you know, having double digit drops. He doesn't hear anything about that. You know why? Because he's awesome and he shouldn't hear anything about it. So I just think that, you know, we're kind of picking and choosing who to penalize with the drops. I think people as a whole are really down on the Pittsburgh Steelers, which, hey, I get if you don't think they're going to be a great NFL team. Big Ben's not looking, you know, fantastic. But as bad as he looked last year, again, Deontay still did all this. My final note here and just really, if you're holding on to that drop number, it's just 
at least for fantasy football, we don't care. I mean, in 2012, here's the list of players that had 10 drops. So imagine if you just faded these guys from now on after they dropped the ball a lot of times in one year. <laughs> Jimmy Graham, Wes Walker, Calvin Johnson, Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, Des Bryant, Victor Cruz, Demarius Thomas, T.Y. Hilton, A.J. Green, the list goes on and on. So for me, Andrew, it's a situation where Deontay, we know he's got wide receiver one in his range of outcomes if he gets that same target total as he did last year. And people, for whatever reason, they're not buying into it. Don't get it. Should be able to buy into Deontay Johnson easily. Again, you mentioned the targets are all there for him for the taking. Big Ben loves throwing him the ball. It's not like Big Ben's going to... His arm is probably not going to get any better throwing downfield, so Deontay Johnson still remains that intermediate target. You know, Najee Harris is obviously going to get his in the passing game as well, but Deontay Johnson, you know, to kind of add another stat, you know, second in expected fantasy points per game last season in all the games that he was healthy in. So the opportunity was there. And look, as someone that as a Patriots fan, and gets to see a ton of Nikhil Harry every single week. I would love it if Nikhil Harry had more drops. Would, would, be in, <laughs> would be dying to see Nikhil Harry drop the ball because that's what it means. It means that, no, they're not a bad player. It means that they're open. Like, yeah. that's the number one thing with receivers is first, is can you get open and can you throw them the ball? The drop is more of like a concentration thing than anything else. And if you think about Deontay Johnson where he's on the field, it's closer to where defenders are, like because he's closer to the line of scrimmage. So maybe he just doesn't want to get plastered by another dude, like you know, a creeping safety or linebacker. Like that's why he's dropping more passes. You know, if you had some of these receivers running more intermediate routes, they'd probably drop more passes too. So stop fading Deontay Johnson. Don't fade the drops. Buy into the drops. Buy the dip. Because like you said, that and that, that really makes a bigger point too with the value is finding players that are not being market priced according to their situation that other players are. You know, talk about like some players get moved because of injuries and some don't. So trying to find those players is a really easy way to find value. All those injured games, the missed games, and still in freaking 16 combined regular season and playoff games, Andrew, the guy had 160 targets. He's a wide receiver, 25. He's a young up-and-coming stud that had 116 targets in 16 games impacted by injury last year. And you can have him as a wide receiver three in fantasy. Draft Deontay Johnson on every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. Andrew, tell me a little bit about the Jets' likely new number one wide receiver. Corey Davis. What did Corey Davis do to people to make everybody hate him so much? <laughs> All he did last year was ball out sixth in yards per route run, 2.46, eighth in PFF receiving grade, 25th in fantasy points per game, and he's wide receiver 50, upside down face, ADP. I, I don't buy it. And, and look, this is kind of the exercise that I did as well. You know, going into Corey Davis, I didn't think I was really high on him. I didn't love the landing spot with the Jets. I figured that Corey Davis is really a better number two receiver than number one, where he'll kind of probably put into that role with the New York Jets. But I mean, he's going to lead the team in targets, right? I mean, that's what I would bet on. And at wide receiver 50 or 51 or wherever he's at, like this isn't the same Jets team as last year. Do people think Adam Gase is still the head coach? Is is that the issue here? It's like like all the air yards last year that we were chasing with Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman. Is that just poisoned people's minds to the fact that no, I just can't draft Jets players? Look, I mean, we don't need to expect this Jets offense to melt faces next year with Zach Wilson, but chances are they'll probably be a little bit better. They have a, a different quarterback, whole new system in place. It really can't be worse than Adam Gase. Again, it's not, I mean, it's not Corey, Dave, Corey Davis escaping Adam Gase type of upside we can expect, but, you know, the entire Jets franchise now is escaping Adam Gase. So that itself should give the offense a boost. 
I think it's a good fit too with Zach Wilson. You look at some of Zach Wilson's splits, whether he's throwing intermediate, whether he's throwing, you know, mesh routes, mesh concepts. Those are things that Davis graded well, really well in last year at the intermediate level. He was PFF's 10th highest graded receiver. He was actually PFF's highest graded receiver on drag routes. So again, there are some particular things that stick out about Davis's game that are highlighted by Zach Wilson. So I just don't see how he can fail as the wide receiver 50 off the board. That's really because if he gets more expensive, then I, I would be totally fine with, okay, I'm off Corey Davis. Like, I don't expect him to repeat his efficiency numbers from last year. But at the cost of admission, it's like, I guess I love Corey Davis. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. All right, for the social graphic, all we want from that is Andrew Erickson loves Corey Davis, and we'll call that a wrap. Yeah, man, he had so he had the game against the Bears coming off uh, touchdowns previous weeks. People finally trust him. He goose eggs. We had the Week 16 game against the Packers where he goose egg, you know, fantasy championships on the line. And I was surprised to see even in that playoff game against the Ravens did not catch a single pass. He had those three duds, but he also had this ceiling that I'm with you, man. People just seem to ignore. Five games with over 100 receiving yards. I mean, the only guys that topped that last year Calvin Ridley, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Jefferson, Travis Kelsey. Now there's arguably less target competition, man. It's like, you know, Kenny Galladay's going to a new offense that signed him to be their number one wide receiver, and he's a top 30 guy. All that same stuff happened with Corey Davis, just in a, I don't know, I guess less sexy offense, but the Jets passing game could easily be better than the Giants this year. Like, that wouldn't be crazy to think of. And he's going, you know, a good 25 picks cheaper. So the one... uh one of the more wild takeaways I've had, uh, you know, from this looking at last year's stats is that if you just look it up, man, PFF grade, yards per reception, yards after the catch per reception, yards per outrun, Corey Davis and Julio Jones were like the same football player. And I understand one of them was getting double team. One of them was getting all the attention. The other one was Corey Davis. So no social team. I'm not saying Corey Davis equals Julio Jones. I would say though that, you know, for someone that is going as a wide receiver 50 and just put up, you know, even removing Julio from the equation, just put up top 10 efficiency metrics everywhere and should again see triple digit targets like yeah it's a great example buying someone at their floor not their ceiling as we talk about all the time and andrew i think someone else that i'm looking at in a similar manner Devonte smith man someone that we like that we've talked through throughout this process but wide receiver 37 adp not even a wide receiver three. I don't see it, man. He's my wide receiver uh, 25 right now. I just think the on-field skills make up for the lack of size. And my goodness, dude, if he has like 10, 12 targets in week one, like we're not going to bat an eye. We're going to be like, okay, that makes sense. This offense is empty. Jalen Hurts threw for 300 yards in two of his four starts last year. Like I understand. We referenced his PFF passing grade. Not pretty. Wasn't pretty the way he got the 300 yards. He still got there. It took Josh Allen three years to be able to say that. So for me, Devontae, man, drafted number 11 overall to be the feature part of this passing game. Like to me, when Jalen Rager comes out and says he's going to be in the slot more, that doesn't tell me like it's a good thing for Rager necessarily. That tells me that Devontae is going to be the X and the feature guy of this passing game. So I think, uh, you know, in a worse situation, if we had seen Devontae fall, you know, wide receiver 22, the Giants maybe, you know, took him instead of Tony in that spot. No, I probably wouldn't be quite as on him. But in this situation, man, empty offense with Jalen Hurts and, you know, per underdogs, Josh Norris on, on their. Uh, underdog fantasy football pod always a great listen the athletics uh shield kapadia sorry if i messed up that name said that this is not going to be a bottom five offense in pass attempts i mean they expect this to be far closer to league average so just from the standpoint that somebody needs to produce in this offense that somebody certainly looks like Devonte smith and oh yeah he just won the freaking heisman trophy and he's a, been a baller every single chance we've seen really throughout his entire football career so once the tight end feeder is gone 
Dude, like, Devontae is someone, again, sitting there as a wide receiver four at that wide receiver 37 spot. Wide receiver four that... Even if we don't expect them to have triple-digit targets, we got to know that is firmly in his projected range of outcomes. Yeah, it's probably a combination of his size that people are kind of pegging him against, even though it didn't really make a difference at all when he was playing football at college at Alabama. And then, like you mentioned, the passing volume. Like, you look at Jalen Hurts and you think that, okay, this is going to be a run-specific team, run-heavy team. But like you just said, that doesn't seem like that's what the case is actually going to be. Like they do are going they are going to want to throw the ball a decent amount to an average level and if Devonte Smith is the projected target leader, which I think it's probably between him and Dallas Goddard it depends on how you view I mean it's really hard to build an offense around a tight end being the lead target receiver unless you specifically have like a Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey. So that's really more of a stretch. So yeah, I can definitely get behind Devonte Smith. Again, he's not expensive and we, we are obsessed with opportunity. Like we're just, we sometimes like overinflate it to the point where we don't even care about the talent at all. But like, I mean, there's a combination here where like Devontae Smith is a talented receiver and he has this opportunity. So I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. You know, like as much, you know, I can't walk down the street these days without someone cursing at me for my Jonathan Taylor takes, but like he's, it just comes down to opportunity, people. And it's very hard when guys are getting, you know, potentially 20 to 50 fewer targets for them to overcome even a, uh, you know, a lesser player ahead of them. So I would just say this. Can Zach Ertz please leave already? Like now we got the freaking part of the offseason where, you know, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports at least three teams are interested in trading for him. Come on. We've had these rumors for months now. It's infuriating. And it's the only reason why Dallas Goddard is even higher on board right now. So please, just anywhere except my anywhere except the Jets. I don't want to say my Jets, but anywhere except Chris Herndon's Jets. That's the only one thing. My one ask here, people. Andrew, let's keep on going with the wide receivers. Now, I liked your picks here. This is the one I will probably give you the most pushback on. What What are we doing with, what are we even doing touching this Texans offense? Why do we want Brandon Cooks, Andrew? Hey man, Terrell Pryor had a thousand receiving yards on a Browns team that I think won one game. Ohio, got a, Ohio State made, born, built different, man. Because he, he got 140 targets <laughs> and he had just over a thousand yards receiving. Not efficient at all. And he just become a wide receiver. So again, we see this all the time with some of these receivers that play with bad quarterbacks. They're, they're the number one target in their offense, and because they get a lot of targets, they are fantasy producers. Again, some other examples besides Terrell Pryor, which is really more of a joke than anything else, like Allen Robinson. Like, never really has good quarterback play, but he's a target monster. And, and that's also part of the reason why he sees so many targets is because a lot of his passes thrown his way are inaccurate. So that's kind of why like, it kind of adds up to actually more targets in the end for Allen Robinson, the only player the last two seasons to have over 150 targets. And then Terry McLaurin. I mean, that Washington football team offense last year, the quarterback play was abysmal. And he still finished as the wide receiver 18 despite you know dealing with injuries and all these things like that. Look, so Brandon Cooks is my guy here that I think that is a value. Wide receiver 42 ADP. I have him within my top 35 wide receivers. Look, the quarterback situation, we don't know what it's going to be. It's probably going to be Tyra Taylor. It's going to be Davis Mills. And, you know, I can spin an argument either way for, look, Tyra Taylor, I liked him a lot going into last year because I thought that he still had a decent deep ball. Like, it wasn't bad. The last time we saw him on film was decent. And you know what? I look back at week one. What did he have? 10.8 A dot. Fourth highest after week one. <laughs> so we know Tyra Taylor can still sling the ball deep. So if he's the starter for however many games that is, like... I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for Brandon Cooks, who obviously can win deep and make big plays downfield. And then the next guy, Davis Mills, the rookie that they drafted, number one in the class, 71% 
pass rate on his first read. Who is his first read going to be? <laughs> it's going to be Brandon freaking Cooks because there's no other receivers on this team that he would even yeah. consider going to first. I mean, we've heard Cooks talk up Nico Collins, which is great. I, I kind of like Jordan Akins to like a, a really sleeper tight end that you can take in like a 20, 25th round of best ball if, you, if the rounds go that long. But, I mean, we saw Cooks. I mean, the PFF projections, if you look at, which are a, you know, it's not a bold statement on the player. It, it's a bit kind of trying to take in an average based on, you know, the target share and the efficiency numbers of the player. Look, the PFF projections have Brandon Cooks as a wide receiver 28. Like, that's like a modest guess at what he could potentially do. And it's he's a wide receiver 42, 45 price tag. So, look, he's only finished worse than the wide receiver 16 once since 2015. That's because he was injured. And we saw him be the wide receiver one in the offense when Will Fuller got suspended at the end of last year, over 22 fantasy points per game, 28% target share when given that opportunity to be a actual like alpha wide receiver, which we, really, we, we hadn't really seen him do really in the past. He was always with another receiver. So for me, I just think that the targets are too good to pass up and Cooks isn't just a guy. Like, I mean, he's a good receiver. He's shown that he can have deliver upside, make big plays and Someone's got to catch the ball in Houston because they're they're going to be down by a lot. And some of the concerns with him do seem a little misplaced. I know the concussion history is scary, but he's only missed three games, three total games since 2015. And I feel like he's still almost kind of getting that injury-prone label thrown around. Also credit to him for maybe not totally reinventing himself. He was still making explosive plays with the Texans last year, but you know, 12.6 average target depth. That was the first time since his rookie year he was under 13. And he still managed to average you know 2.05 yards per route run. It was kind of a rough start for him, but we saw him almost used as more of a complete receiver than in the past man like it wasn't like just Cooks or Will Fuller were just you know this field stretching option on the outside they were both kind of interchangeably used as 1A 1B receivers and kind of asked to run these pretty complete route trees so I could see Cooks being more than just a guy and getting it done so Andrew you've done a solid job convincing me and even if I'm not super high on Cooks you know relative to ADP I certainly do think he's someone that you can take where he's being drafted at the value because even as bad as you know Davis Mills and these guys could be. We've only seen Cooks one time since 2014 not have a great year, and that was when he was banged up in 2019 with the bad version of Jared Goff under center. I mean, he did actually make Goff look good in 2018. 1,200 yards, 80 catches, and five touchdowns. Maybe in hindsight, man, we can start going back here and just pointing to all the Rams, all the great receivers on the Rams that made Goff good over the years, and Cooks was that for at least one spot. So good stuff there. And people, if you're high on Brandon Cooks in the Texas, I would say go talk to your local doctor. And after that, make sure you check out PFS Podcast Network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football to get your whole football allotment. You can recap the NFL draft with Mike Renner and Austin Gales, two-for-one drafts podcast, or get all the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. And also, as Andrew and I continue to talk about underdog fantasy and all these values, check out our 2021 Best Ball Draft Kit tiered rankings for two projections to targetable stacks to the season's favorable matchups, the only resource you'd ever need to recap across best ball formats all summer long fantastic stuff from andrew myself kevin cole nathan yonke the whole pff fantasy gang people please check that out before you go into these best ball drafts you know we got your basic values your late round stuff your straight up tier rankings and we also got advice you know hey what if you're in this you know 1.02 spot what if you're at the turn again quick easy to cipher information right there in the 2021 best ball draft kit so please check that out everybody 
Andrew, I got one more wide receiver for us to break down. He is Tyler Boyd. First year, first year of my life, I've been higher than consensus on Tyler Boyd. He's always been like Jarvis Landry for me. Just, you know, not sexy slot receiver that, you know, I understand the volumes there, but like, what do I even want a part of this offense for? Not so fast, my friend. We do want to be a part of this Bengals offense now, you know, like a lower middle class man's AFC version of the Dallas Cowboys. We could see three fancy relevant wide receivers, not just fancy relevant, like top 25 wide receivers come out of this offense. So right now I have Boyd behind Chase, behind Higgins, and he's still my wide receiver 24, man. He's got an average draft position as a wide receiver 34. And I just, you know, even though I do think Higgins can now produce Boyd. I mean, I'm almost tempted to flip them because if anything, Higgins is the one that should have to worry a little bit more with Chase coming on the outside, taking A.J. Green's spot. Like, we could just see last year, you know, A.J. Green and Higgins were both underneath 110 targets. Like, if Burrow is in love with Chase as much as we're led to believe, man, we could just see that really start to veer more towards Chase. Meanwhile, Boyd is still, you know, safe from the friendly confines of the slot. So, in these types of crowded situations, you know, Patriots backfield over the years. Anytime there's a situation in fantasy football where we're at all worried about the pecking order, what do we say? Take the cheapest man involved. And if you want to say Auden Tate, I will not disagree with you. But in this case, that does seem to be Tyler Boyd. So, I mean, last year, weeks 1 through 11, before Burrow got hurt, uh, Boyd was the wide receiver 28. Higgins was the wide receiver 31. Boyd had 102 targets. Higgins had 100. Like, I'm not... Again, Higgins is awesome. He's probably going to make a nice little leap in year two or year three, you would like to think. But if we're just looking at which one is more likely to lead this team in receiving and targets, I would have to go with Boyd at this point. So only 26 years old. I mean, he had 2,000. He came off a 1,000-yard year in 2018 and 2019 alike. Would have gotten there in 2020 if uh, Burrow was there. So to me, we're getting one of the more consistent slot receivers we've seen really you know, in quite some time. Him and Jarvis Landry have been those two guys to stand out over the past five years. And he's at a discount. So, Andrew, Tyler Boyd, man, if you end up getting these running backs early, I think he's a perfect, you know, third wide receiver to add to the squad. I freaking love Tyler Boyd. Love the value there. It's interesting because you mentioned that you think that T. Higgins is probably more concerned about the arrival of Chase. And I agree with you on that, but that's not what the market is kind of telling us here by ranking Higgins ahead of, you know, well ahead, you know, at least a round or two. And that's something that I've kind of seen across the Twitter sphere is, there really hasn't been a consensus take on is it Higgins that gets affected? Is it Tyler Boy that gets affected? And for me, like the way I look at it is okay, the targets probably aren't, we're not going to see a player necessarily emerge with a 25% target share in this offense. Like we didn't see it last year. Like Joe Burrow was pretty flat across the board with, you know, 18%, 90% between all three guys, including AJ Green. So if we can assume that Jamar Chase kind of fills in that role. And then maybe it differs a little bit. Maybe Chase ends up leading the team in targets. But at the same time, the entire efficiency of the offense is going to be like twice as good. Like it's the exact same thing with Julio Jones, where if Julio Jones goes to the Titans, okay, like if that happens again, AJ Brown is not going to see as many targets, but his freaking yards per route run is going to go off the freaking charts because he's going to be the most efficient receiver we've ever seen ever because he's going to be next to the other most efficient receiver ever. And that's really what we need to look at this Bengals offense. Could that mean they're more inconsistent week to week? Yeah, because their targets may not be as flat across the board, but they're going to be scoring touchdowns left and right, like all the time because they're too talented. Like defenses are going to have to focus on one of these receivers and be like, all right, we're going to try to take away chase this week. or We're going to take Higgins. And then the other guy's just going to blow up. And to your point, Tyler Boyd is probably the hardest guy to like, game plan away like he's going to get his targets in the slot so I think 
from a consistency standpoint, he makes the most sense. And for him to be last, I think that's you scoop up that value all day. He caught at least four passes in every game of Burrow under center last year. I like again, I have Chasen Higgins ahead of Boyd, but I have them right next to each other. I don't have Boyd a full 10 spots behind like the current ADP is going through. So, by the way, quick note on Julio, man. We are looking at a situation where from 2000 to 2010, the number one jersey in the NFL was LaDainian Tomlinson, powder blue. That's not up for debate. 2011, the present is Julio Jones, Falcons black. We get that. What if Julio goes to the Chargers and we get powder blue Julio Jones? Unrelated, but just saying, people, that could be cool. Real quickly, those six wide receivers we just talked about being values, Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson, Corey Davis, Devontae Smith, Brandon Cooks, and Tyler Boyd. Now we got a couple of running backs to go through. Andrew, how about you kick us off with Detroit Lions, A-back, B-back, starting backup. We don't really know, but he's going to be something, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams is going to be something in 2021. So originally I had Zach Moss pegged in as kind of my, okay, this is the last running back I kind of feel good about taking in anywhere point in the draft. And now I have moved off Zach Moss into that role. And now it is Jamal Williams that has taken the throne as my RB firewall, as I like to call it. This is my last running back before I'm just like taking a dart on some undrafted rookie or some guy or Keyshawn Vaughn basically is like my other, (laughs) my 18th round dart throw. So Jamal Williams, again, you, you hit off the top. He's getting, I, I mean, I can't think of another backup running back that's been talked up this much by his coaches. So I think there's some semblance to, he's going to have a role in this offense. And honestly, it, it makes kind of, it makes a lot of sense that the Lions aren't talking about, yeah, well, we really want to get, you know, Brashad Perryman involved and Tyrell Williams. It's like, it seems like this offense is going to cater to the strengths. I'm doing air quotes with Jared Goff, his strengths of a, short to intermediate passer like that's where Jared Goff is the best and you're probably gonna see a ton of targets to the running backs and not these deep shots downfield of Rashad Perryman and Tyra Williams because that's not what Goff does well in any way shape or form so it's really gonna be an offense focused on the running backs and the tight ends which those are the guys we want in fantasy and if none of these receivers are relevant that's totally cool with me but specifically speaking to Jamal Williams you know it surprised me I looked at the PFF rushing grades from last year you know Jamal Williams was PFF's eighth highest graded rusher 83.3 include so that also included the playoff games last year so he was six spots ahead of Aaron Jones and 30 spots ahead of DeAndre Swift so okay this doesn't mean that Jamal Williams is a better running back than those two guys he's not but it means that he can be an efficient rusher of the football and that's something that Anthony Lynn values on his roster which is why he's getting talked up as the early down back on this team you can't find running backs at RB 46 that are going to be guaranteed touches in any way, shape or form. They don't exist. I've tried again. I'm reaching for Keyshawn Vaughn people like help me. <laughs> so Jamal Williams, I think it makes just too much sense for his role to be involved. I think it'd be more surprising to see him not more involved than to see Deandre Swift kind of carry this legit workhorse role, which doesn't really seem like it's in the cards anymore. And again, this isn't knocking on Swift either. I think it's just really about look, Jamal Williams, like, is a good running back. Like he's improved every year since he's been in the league. He was able to develop a snap share with Aaron Jones because they were like, yo, Jamal Williams is like good when he gets the ball now. Like it's Jamal Williams used to be annoying because he sucked so badly compared to Aaron Jones. But then it was like, okay, like he's actually not that bad. And now he's ever, he never sucked. It was Aaron Jones was that good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Anybody behind him, man. Yeah. So now Jamal Williams gets a kind of chance to be more featured in an offense. And I think that it's really worth, the, the price of admission is not expensive at all to take. 
he just seems like this Daryl Williams type of player where they're never going to do anything wrong. The coaching staff's going to love him because you don't have to take him off the field. And even if they aren't, you know, quite as, you know, alluring as, you know, the team starter that we want to get all the touches. Again, it doesn't really matter what we want. It matters what the coaches want. And we have, you know, four years of evidence now that coaches were fine playing Jamal for at times, you know, straight up over someone as good as Aaron Jones. So, yeah, man, he's going to be plenty involved. And just It's just his draft position right now, which makes him such a great pick. I mean, he's going behind, you know, Tony Pollard, Naeem Hines, Latavius Murray, you know, Gus Edwards. He's going behind players that he either... Look, he's a great three-down handcuff in his own right. I mean, if DeAndre Swift gets hurt, we saw last year with Aaron Jones out. Jamal can go play 90% plus snaps if you want it. So he's a great handcuff, but he's going to have a weekly, probably flex-worthy role. And that's what we were just talking about. And that puts him ahead of guys, you know, like Latavius, like Tony Pollard uh, for me as well. So he has a higher handcuff ceiling than, you know, the scat backs in his range. And he has a higher weekly ceiling than the handcuffs in his range. So Jamal Williams, I liked what you're saying about the firewall spot. I do agree. I think Jamal, is basically the last running back you really want to take in that spot. I think Rashad Penny, someone I'm still a little bit in on, but that's a little <laughs> bit more of a stretch down there with your undrafted running backs, as you pointed out. I'm actually not straying too far away from uh, Williams and kind of the talks there with my next guy, and that is A.J. Dillon. My RB34 ADP coming in at RB39. So not a huge discrepancy, but I just think more and more, man, he's someone that we should be trying to come away with, particularly if you are, you know, a zero RB or, you know, one workhorse enthusiast, whatever the hell we're calling that premium RB. I still get mad. We don't have a better name. Anyway, <laughs> Green Bay, they didn't add anybody else to the position. We're looking at a two-back system and a decent chance that Dylan ends up not not leading in rush attempts. I'd be surprised if that happens, but it's gonna it's not gonna be the Aaron Jones just takeover show and we saw Jamal Williams last four years have 178 148 146 and 150 touches I wouldn't be shocked if Jones takes the majority of Jamal Williams' targets, but we almost see Dylan get a larger pie of the rush attempt there man it's gonna be a bit of a two-back committee Jones will be the 1a it depends to be seen if he's if Dylan will be the 1B or just a straight-up 2. I almost lean towards 1B, man. All we have to do is go all the way back to 2018 when Matt LaFleur gave Derrick Henry 230 touches and Deion Lewis 214 touches, man. So we have plenty of evidence of that LaFleur really doesn't know what he's doing with his running back committees, or he does, and he just wants to split them up. I mean, that's still what we've seen, right? It's been Jones and Jamal, Henry and Lewis. I guess we should be assuming it's going to be Jones and Dylan, and I just don't really see that reflected right now. So... We got, you know, a work potential early down workhorse and a likely top five scoring offense as long as they don't do the unthinkable and trade Rodgers. And man, obviously the boom factor if Aaron Jones happens to miss time is awfully big as well. So for me, AJ Dillon, just again, not a huge discrepancy. I only have him five spots ahead of his ADP, but I just really like him in that range, man, because I think there's once again, underrated floor and ceiling combo here. Agree with your take on the one that they call Quadfather. I think it's his new nickname is, is what's going around. My question for you on A.J. Dillon, do you think that he can, in his range of outcomes, do you think he can inherit some pass game work from Jamal Williams? Or do you think that that's not in his boathouse, I guess would be the best way to put it? Because again, he didn't catch passes at college, but if you look at that Boston College offense, like the leading receiver caught like 30 passes, like every single season he was there. So that's something that I think is something that I'm trying to pick up more on is these running backs, whether they can catch passes or not coming out of college. And... I think it's a lot less about whether they're capable of catching passes or not, and more about does the offense feature running backs in the passing game? Like, we all know J.K. Dobbins can catch passes. Like, he can do it. But their offense doesn't cater to that certain skill set 
Whereas Green Bay, like Aaron Rodgers peppers his guys with targets. Like Jamal Williams had over 30 catches last year. Aaron Jones is one of the best running back receiver threats in the league. Again, part of their skill set. But I think A.J. Dillon could surprise us with some work in the pass game. You know, take a screen. I mean, A.J. Dillon, man, on a screen, watch out. It's in its range of outcomes. And like, look, Ronald Jones is one of the worst receiving running backs I have ever seen. And he has still caught... You know, 59 <laughs> passes over the past two years. So, yeah, if Dylan catches, like, he, we don't need him. to. He's not going to catch 80 passes. Like, yeah. that's never going to happen. But if he catches, like, 20 instead of five, that could be fantastic. So, no, I don't think he's someone that's necessarily a complete zero in the passing game. We don't really know. And I think your, you know, Boston College point holds up as well. So, those two running backs, everybody, A.J. Dillon, Jamal Williams, you know, if you're over there, underdog fancy, and you just find yourself going heavy at wide receiver early, consider adding these guys. Because, again, huge ceiling if, you know, they get some injuries, but also underrated floor if things happen to go okay. And again, people, if you like fantasy football, as we got PF Lily barking in the background, she's hyped. I'm hyped. If you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do. But that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 for using promo code PFF. Get a free PFF Edge Annual subscription as promo code PFF. FF draft now underdog fantasy Andrew you're up next with our only tight end on the list because I agree with you here and I didn't think there was another one worth bringing up so tell the people about our guy Adam Troutman Adam Troutman again everyone loves Kyle Pitts but people tend to forget it was it was Adam Troutman that was PFF's highest graded tight end coming out in the 2019 class and he has a potential to be the number two target I guess number three for counting Alvin Kamara on the Saints because this past passing game is really devoid of talent they didn't go and fill in the roles for emmanuel sanders and jared cook and if you look at those guys and how they were specifically used end zone targets the saints have the most vacated end zone targets from last season jared cook it specifically he led the team in end zone targets the past two seasons so that even included michael thomas's you know crazy season michael thomas wasn't like a touchdown monster really that year again he caught a fair amount of touchdowns but really it was all the other receptions that were the reason why he was so good and that's what we need with tight ends we need them to score freaking touchdowns robert tanyan scored double digit touchdowns last year and had like 60 targets but it finishes a top five tight end because he caught a bunch of touchdowns and that's what we could potentially get with an adam troutman in addition to the fact that he could also see decent targets in his offense because, like I said, you have Traquan Smith, you have Deontay Harris, you have Marquez Callaway as these guys that were trying to peg into roles that could potentially step up and be the wide receiver two on this team. But I think Adam Troutman honestly might be the best out of all of them. I think that he's the best option. Again, at the tight end position, you get some type of edge a little bit more compared to the other positions instead of, okay, there's a plenty of receivers that could potentially be a Traquan Smith or any of those guys, whereas Troutman... I don't know if there's really another tight end like him that you can get, especially where you're getting him outside the top 15 tight ends. I believe he's tight end 16 per ADP. So again, he showed us during his rookie season, nothing that would make us think that he can't take a step forward. He caught basically almost all of his passes, (laughs) 94% catch rate. He finished 30 yards after the catch per reception. So basically whenever he got a chance, he produced last year. And at college, when he played at Dayton, again, a small school, but he was a mega producer. Like if you look at his, so something I did over this past weekend was building a better and best ball type of article where I actually featured some of the tight end position. And I looked at Adam Troutman's college numbers and his like upper percentile of outcomes was like 28 fantasy points, <laughs> which is like absolutely insane for a tight end. It was like, 
more than 10 fantasy points more than Kyle Pitts was in college. So again, you know, it's not always one-to-one looking at fantasy points from college to the NFL, but it's interesting to look at and be like, oh my God, like this guy is used to putting up fantasy points. It's like what he did at college. So I think Adam Troutman, you can't go wrong with him. There are so many tight ends in that middle range, like Gusecki and Johnny Smith, Hunter Henry, like these middling guys, you're just like, you have to take them because you're like, oh, well, they're, like, they're like ranked here, so I guess I'll take them. But, and then you see Adam Troutman, you're like, I should have just taken Troutman. Like, oh man, like what am, what am I doing? So you can get him 14th, 15th round. And I just think that you can feel really good about him as a, even a tight end to someone to pair with another tight end with upside. I think that he's a, he's a great value for sure. I mean, last year before the season started, Jared Cook had climbed up to tight end 11. I think he might have even been going higher than that in 2019. Now we got a 24-year-old who was a receiving first prospect coming out. And all he did as a rookie was earn PFF's highest run blocking grade. Mm -hmm. And Josh Hill's gone. He's normally someone we see them use a lot. The only way I see him not really working out is if Nick Vanette, uh, you know, Central Ohio's finest, West Bowl Central, shout out. But if Nick Vanette comes in, takes his deal, and actually, you know, makes it more of a committee, then okay, that would be unfortunate but I don't see that being the case and to your point 14th 15th round it's like my Chris Herndon call from last year like okay I'm sorry again about that everybody but you didn't lose your draft because you drafted Chris Herndon you're not going to lose because you drafted Adam Troutman you're going to lose when you reach on a tight end at you know five or six and blow off you know a great wide receiver still sitting there so Troutman you know has the draft capital third round pick coming out and yeah I think he uh is looking like you know the best one from that class Cole Komet might have had my vote, but Jimmy Graham is still there, and Lord knows he won't be traded, so maybe he'll be cut, but it's not even like a post-June 1st thing, so as long as Jimmy Graham stays there, I'm still with Troutman over Komet, and honestly, even over Anthony Ferkser, because it's tough. I know Ferkser has more demonstrated receiving ability in the NF, not even more demonstrated ability, just more production. He's played longer. He's only played more than 50% of the snaps, though, in like two of his 48 career games. I'm just not sure if the Titans even view Ferkser as someone they can keep on the field there is some of that mystery with Troutman again but at a minimum he shows he can block he shows he can catch the Saints show that they like him enough to let Cook and Josh Hill you know leave without replacing them too severely all in Adam Troutman 2021 Andrew I got us one last player I got us to touch every position can you name the quarterback that I am thinking of it's got to be Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? It is Ryan Fitzpatrick. There we go. Your 2018 QB1 in weeks 1 through 3. Your QB2 in weeks 7 through 17 behind only Lamar Jackson after taking over for Josh Rosen. And 2020, your QB8 in weeks 1 through 6 before Tua won the job. And for those not watching our lovely faces on YouTube, I'm using finger quotes because, you know, Fitz was the best quarterback in Miami all of last year. Dolphins fans will tell you that. And I'm not here to slander Tua. It's just a fact. Look at every single stat other than turnover-worthy play rate. And that was more because Tua was trying to be a game manager, not lose games for a contending team. But as bad as the pieces were around Tua, and we've talked about the wide receivers they were trotting out in the second half of the year, not great offensive line, like Fitz was just doing more in the exact same situation. It's why we're down on Sam Darnold because Joe Flacco was better in the same situation last year. Like That needs to matter. And okay, great. Fitz is out of the picture for Tua. Don't need to worry about that with him anymore. There's no competition for Fitzpatrick, man. I think the original quote from Ron Rivera in like February... He wouldn't name Fitz the starter. He's come back, though, in May and said, like, no, Ryan's the one, but everyone's going to compete. We compete every day. Yeah, Ron, great. That's what every football coach says. You know, it's like when Bruce Arians, I'm not sure if he's ever said that Tom Brady, you know, needs to compete. But it's always a mix between, you know, cute and, like, annoying when they do this. But in Fitz's case, look at the death chart. Taylor Heineke, you know, okay, he had 
one really, you know, really solid game against the Buccaneers in the playoffs. Maybe that's a sign of things to come. If you just look at him in his, you know, 100 dropbacks we have, though, he's been awful. Like, good for him putting that playoff game together, but he has not been good the rest of his career. Kyle Allen is your token, uh, you know, quarterback that knows the system, and he's just going to be a backup for five more years because of that. And then we got Steven Montez, who's your token bad white quarterback who's athletic enough to earn a Taysom Hill comp from some idiot newspaper writer that happens to be attached to the team. So Fitzpatrick no longer has like a first round pick and waiting just you know, we, that we're knocking on the door trying to get this guy in. It's a great team. I mean, this defense, I think, is already anyone's idea of a top five unit. Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, Diami Brown, Adam Humphreys, Logan Thomas. Weapons are everywhere. And it's looking great, man. So to me, I'm taking Fitz over Jameis, over Cousins, over Tua, over Donald, over Wentz, and more. He's my QB 16 ADP, QB 20. I do think we got Ryan Tannehill sitting there with a QB 16 ADP. That's the only reason why I won't call Fitz, you know, my main late round QB. But if you wanted to find late round as ADP, a QB 20 or later, it's Ryan Fitzmagic. Ryan Fitzpatrick, baby. I love the call. It makes a ton of sense. And again, I know we've talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick on the podcast before, and the only thing I've had to say about it is basically just how many shootouts will they play in with a top five defense? And again, that's kind of, eh, you're, you're grasping a little bit. You're nitpicking a little bit with that because everything statistically says that Fitzpatrick, or I could be like, oh, well, you know, Fitztragic's just going to show up and just friggin' nuke his team. Like, yeah, you can say that, but there's really, he's been so good. Like, he's been a really consistent quarterback when he's had the chance to play, like you said. He's been a great fantasy producer, and he runs. Like, it's an underutilized aspect or understated aspect of his game. But, I mean, you saw the clip that the Washington football team tweeted out, like, the other week. It was him, like, running around, and it's like, that's what we want. Like, he doesn't hold back. Like, he has no reason to. He, like, he's like, this could be my last game I ever played. Like, I don't know how long my career is going to end. I mean, he probably thought it was going to end, like, five years ago, but <laughs> he got another chance. So It's more job security than he's had in, like, five years, man, since that uh, Jets season that he managed to go 10-6 and six and not make the playoffs. And the fact yeah. that's happened to Fitz twice, man, <laughs> come on. Yeah, so I can totally get behind Fitzpatrick, and again, he offers a lot of more, a lot more upside than a lot of other quarterbacks because again, the weapons, the weapons are there. He runs, and so yeah, maybe there's a couple of games where he doesn't attempt that many passes, but if he's efficient, which based on all the statistics, he should be. So I, I probably got to bump up Fitzpatrick more in my own rankings. Absolutely. So love that, everybody. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Adam Troutman as our QB and tight end, AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams as the running backs. Wide receivers, one more time Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson, Corey Davis, Devontae Smith, Brandon Cooks, and Tyler Boyd. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Andrew, what's on the docket for this week? Uh, look out for me on, uh, go follow PFF on TikTok if you're on TikTok. <laughs> I'm going to be dabbling in the account over there. So you'll see my bright, shining face doing some fun activities over on TikTok. So that should be fun. But on the website, just more content coming out, more best ball content. We have the best ball draft kit up as Ian has spoken to already. And yeah, just trying to get everyone prepped for draft season because it's going to come up quick before you know it. And the last thing you want to do is not be prepared. But lucky for you, you got PFF to help you out. 
Yeah, you can check out my articles, pff.com, 100 articles in 100 days. Of course, we got our fantasy files rolling through on this podcast as well. And people, I tried to get a haircut today. I see a little bit of the slander over there on the social media. It's okay. You guys are right. I need a freaking haircut. One guy was cracking me up. He was like, someone tell Ian quarantine's over. You can go out and get a haircut now. I tried to go before this podcast, and they hit me with a 45-minute wait at my local Great Clips at 2.30 p.m. on a freaking Tuesday. So I don't know what's going on there. Love your great clips. Appreciate the same buzz cut you guys have given me since I was in eighth grade. And yeah, I will work on that, everyone. And I'm also working on my freaking tan in Long Beach Island in a few weeks. So plenty of good stuff ahead. PFF.com, my hairstyle. Andrew's already got something good going on over there. And there we go. So he's Andrew. I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. 